0: Today, as we continue our uh, journey through the book of Acts and our Impact World series, I'm going to invite you to turn to Acts chapter 16. Uh, We're going to be looking at verses 6 to 40. So, I'm going to read that whole passage for you. Uh, I'll give you a minute to to find it. Acts 16, we're going to read the majority of the chapter. And uh, a few months ago uh, in the book of Acts, we did a sermon. Um, called God's Surprising Sovereignty in Suffering. And the song that we just sang uh, really fits that well. Today, uh, that's not quite our same focus. Not so much looking at the suffering as our plans being uprooted by God. So as we uh, work through this today, hopefully you will see how this plays out. Beginning with chapter... uh, chapter 16, verse 6. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace. And the next day, we went on to Neapolis. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the Spirit left her. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your whole household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds, then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order release those men. The jailer told Paul, The magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave. Go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens and threw us into prison. And now do they want to get rid of us quietly? No. Let them come themselves and escort us out. The officers reported this to the magistrates. And when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. Then they left. Father, as we read your word together today and as we endeavor to study and and learn what you have for us, I pray that you would make the message prominent that the messenger would be of, of little account. Father, in this moment, speak to our hearts by your Holy Spirit. Speak beyond your servant's faltering tongue. Lord, we confess to you that we have, even this week, even today, lived for ourselves. We have lived for our plans, our expectations. We have loved you with less than our whole heart. And we've prioritized other things above you. Father, we have not loved our neighbor perfectly. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves, especially those who are difficult for us to to swallow sometimes. We've not loved as Christ has loved us. We confess our sins to you, Lord. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. We ask that you would change us. That you would stir in us a fire, a passion to do your will, not our will. Father, inspire us, move us, convict us that we might together pray, Lord, take my life. Let it be consecrated to you. Father, open our eyes, open our hearts. Help us to receive, not just to hear, but to receive your word and to become doers. These things we pray by the power of the Spirit, in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen. Well, one time, as... uh, as we were driving back from visiting Shelley's family in Illinois, we encountered uh, something of a surprise. We were uh, trying to get home on the highway, and, and as I tried to get onto the highway that led home, uh, there was a barricade with a sign that read, Road Closed, Detour. As you might imagine, I was less than pleased, this forced us to take a bunch of twisting back roads that I would not have chosen, lengthening our trip, meaning we would not get home at a decent hour. It was going to be way past dark, way past when we wanted to get home. That was not the plan. Now, I didn't know why the road was closed, just that I was very, very disappointed that my plans and expectations were wrecked. Well, as it turns out, it was, it was actually a great trip. It was filled with beautiful scenery that I never would have seen from the highway. And as we were going through this, even though it was longer than what I expected, in the end, I came to appreciate it. But don't be confused. It took a while. (laughs) I had to adjust my attitude. I had to choose to adjust my attitude to be able to see things differently. And until I adjusted my attitude, I couldn't really see the beauty. But the beauty was there the whole time. I didn't know why I had to take this particular route, but I didn't need to. Someone else with knowledge I didn't have did know. This is exactly what we see Paul and Silas going through in today's passage and exactly what we need to understand and apply from it, which brings us to our core reality for today. God's perfect plan often comes dressed as disappointment. I'm going to say that again. Let it it sink in. We want to get this in our head because this is what we're seeing throughout the text. This is the point of the passage and what you and I need to wrestle with, understand, and apply as we go forward. God's perfect plan often comes dressed as disappointment. Now, again, as I mentioned earlier, we We've already looked previously at the idea that God is sovereign in our suffering, that God has a plan, and what the devil uh, intends uh, as a weapon, God has ordained as a tool, but that's not really the focus that we want to see today. What we want to recognize in this is that God is doing something that may not align with what you and I expect. God's plan which he has laid out before time began, which he intends for our good, for his glory, may very well involve shutting down things that you don't want him to shut down. As we work through this, we see in the book of Acts over and over and over again the Holy Spirit acting. The the Holy Spirit moving, guiding, directing. And what we see is not usually tongues of fire descending, like in, in Acts 2. It's not usually big miraculous things. We'll see a big miraculous thing today, but it's not usually that. What we see very often is the Holy Spirit working through things that we would not desire in our flesh, that we would not choose. Very often unexpected Our plans go this way, and God says, "Uh uh-uh, I want you to go that way. Well, that's what we're seeing today in this passage. So let's work through some things. There are three specific areas that we want to look at as we examine the Holy Spirit's undesired signs. The Holy Spirit is working. He is active. He is directing you through God's Word and through your circumstances to a place where if you are not in Christ, if you don't know Him, He is doing what is necessary to, if, if I can be so bold, to break you. To shatter your hard heart of stone through whatever means are required to bring you to the cross on your knees. The only way for us to come to God, the only way for us to have a relationship with God is not standing up but on our knees with empty hands saying, God, I have nothing to offer you. I have no hope but you. And the only way for us to get to God is through His Son, Jesus Christ, embracing His cross as the payment for our sin. This reality is what drives everything we read in the book of Acts. This reality is what drives everything in the life of the Christ follower. When we wander from that, when we stray from that as our driving force, we're not following Christ. We're forgetting about the reality of Christ. That doesn't take away our relationship but it certainly does alter our ability to follow Him. God's perfect plan often comes dressed as disappointment And the first undesired sign that we see here by the Holy Spirit is blocked goals. Notice what happens at the beginning of the chapter, or at the beginning of the passage in verse 6. Paul and his companions are traveling through the region of uh, Phrygia and Galatia. You may remember that they took this inland route after splitting with uh, Barnabas, after Paul split with Barnabas, and he takes Silas. Barnabas and Mark go to Cyprus to visit the churches there. Uh, Paul and Silas uh, take the inland route to go to the churches that they had planted there. At that point, regardless of what the maps in your Bible say, at that point, it really isn't a missionary journey. It's a pastoral visit journey. But now, having done that, having accomplished that portion, they turn their attention to spreading the gospel. They recognize this is why we are here, to further the advancement of God's kingdom rule on this planet. So that those who are dead in sin can be alive in Christ through the gospel, through the good news that God loved us so much that He sent His Son to die in our place, to pay for our wages of sin so that we could have the gift of eternal life by believing in Him. That's where they are now. They're, they're traveling. They go through Phrygia and Galatia and they want to go. Uh, they want to go into Asia. And the Holy Spirit doesn't let them go into Asia. We're not told how the Holy Spirit blocks this. But He does block their goal. As they're moving, the logical thing as they follow this path is to continue to move into the, the province of Asia, which is uh, now modern Turkey. It's not the continent like we would think of now. But, but in, the, in this uh, western portion of Turkey, they're, they're moving into this. And God says... No. I don't want you to preach the gospel there. Now, that's a strange thing for us to hear, isn't it? Eventually, these areas will receive the gospel and will read letters to these churches in places like uh, Ephesus and uh, Laodicea and, and, and other places. But for right now, what we see is God saying, that's not where I want you to go. So they continue on their path and they say, well, if we can't go... Can't go south and west, then let's, let's go into the north. Let's go up into Bithynia. We'll go north and east. And God says, no. Again, the Holy Spirit blocks their goals. Now, they think they've got a good thing going on. They think they've got a good plan. And God blocks them. Everything we see here, by the, by the way, throughout this entire passage, and, and, and it's starting right here with this blocked goals idea, flies in the face of condemns the prosperity gospel as heresy we hear so much in our society how God wants us happy and healthy and prosperous that's just not what we see in the scripture God is pleased to pour out his blessings on his children but very often His blessings come through raindrops. Storms of this life are God's mercy in disguise. As God does what is best for us, not what we think is best for us, according to the flesh. That's the primary issue I have with everything related to the prosperity Gospels. It looks at God through flesh eyes rather than looking at the world through divine eyes. We need to flip it and follow the script not our own feelings that's what happens here they have a good plan God has a better plan notice this not every obstacle is meant to be removed not every obstacle is meant to be removed you can pray and you can pray and you can pray but if God put that obstacle there it doesn't move until he desires it to move Sometimes he puts it there specifically to keep you from that path. Notice also, not every obstacle is meant to be removed. And the devil isn't always the one stopping you. We hear that a lot. The devil's trying to stop you. God's trying to bless you. God's trying to give you all of these things that you want. God wants to give you the desires of your heart. God does want to give you the desires of your heart when the desires of your heart align with the desires of his heart. We see, we see this heresy played out in things like, don't raise your hand if you have quoted this particular scripture, when God closes a door, He opens a window, right? That's in the book of First Opinions. It's not in the scriptures. Sometimes when God closes a door, there is no window. Because he doesn't want you to pursue that goal. He wants you to go a different direction. Go down a different hallway. Find a different door. Or he wants you to stay where you are. Just because somebody puts it on a bumper sticker does not make it scripture. The devil isn't always the one stopping you. In fact, just to take a quick look at this, I'm a little behind my, my scheduled time here, but I want you to see this. Turn to the book of Numbers. If you're not sure where that is, it's the fourth book of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Go back here and find Leviticus, I'm sorry, (laughs) Numbers, I was looking at Leviticus as I said that. Numbers chapter 22. When you get to Numbers chapter 22, what we find is a prophet for hire, if you will, named Balaam. And he's been hired or invited with the promise of reward which is kind of like hired, by the king of Israel's enemies, Balak, to come and give a favorable prophecy as they enter into battle against Israel. So he goes. God is displeased, and here's how this plays out. Look at uh, verses 21 and following. Balaam got up in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the Moabite officials. But God was very angry when he went, and the angel of the Lord stood in the road to oppose him. Notice, it's not the devil, it's the angel of the Lord. Balaam was riding on his donkey, and and his two servants were with him. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand, it turned off the road into a field, Balaam editorial insert, having his goal blocked, beat it to get it back on the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path through the vineyards with walls on both sides. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it pressed close to the wall, crushing Balaam's foot against it. So, editorial insert, having his goals blocked, he beat the donkey again. Then the angel of the Lord moved on ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no room to turn, either to the right or to the left. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it lay down under Balaam. And he was angry, having his goals blocked. And what did he do? He beat it with his staff. Then the Lord opened the donkey's mouth. Okay, that's unusual. And it said to Balaam, What have I done to you to make you beat me these three times? Balaam... Apparently caught up in his disappointment at his blocked goals, his frustration, his anger. When our goals are blocked, we get frustrated and angry, apparently not realizing that it's weird for his donkey to speak to him. Balaam answered the donkey, you've made a fool of me. It's really, you know you're in a bad spot when you're arguing with a donkey, right? If only I had a sword in my hand, I would kill you right now. might have a temper issue. The donkey said to Balaam, am I not your own donkey, which you have always ridden to this day? Have I been in the habit of doing this to you? No, he said. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with his sword drawn. So he bowed low and fell face down. The angel of the Lord asked him, why have you beaten your donkey these three times? I have come here to oppose you because your path is a reckless one before me. Now, I'm going to tell you, Balaam probably thought, just as you and I think very often, Why is the devil attacking me? Why is everything going wrong? I can't get this stupid donkey to go. Why do I have this flat tire? Why does my car not start? Why do things go wrong? It must be the devil. It's often not the devil. The angel says, I've come here to oppose you because your path is a reckless one before me. It looked good to Balaam. It didn't look good to God. The donkey saw me and turned away from me these three times. If it had not turned away, I would certainly have killed you by now. But I would have spared it. Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned. I did not realize you were standing in the road to oppose me. Now if you are displeased, I will go back. The angel of the Lord said to Balaam, go with the man, but speak only what I tell you. So Balaam went with Balak's officials. Not every obstacle is meant to be removed. And the devil isn't always the one stopping you. God's perfect plan often comes dressed as disappointment because God speaks through our frustrations. Write that down. God speaks through our frustrations. Our blocked goals are undesired undesired signs from the Holy Spirit. And God speaks through our frustrations. A second undesired sign from the Holy Spirit is troublesome people. Troublesome people, some of you right now are thinking, amen. Let's deal with these troublesome people. Back in, in Acts 16, notice, <clears throat> notice what happens next. Okay, so they, they're blocked from going where they want to go. God leads them into Macedonia. They sail, uh, they sail for Samothrace and they, they go through there. They land at Neapolis, which is the port city to, to the region of Philippi. Philippi is a Roman colony. It has the rights of a Roman colony. We'll talk about that another time perhaps. For the sake of time, we'll skip over it. Suffice it to say that that when they get there, there are not enough Jews for a synagogue. It requires 10 male heads of households to be able to have a Jewish synagogue. So they expect to go find out where where it would normally be if you don't have a synagogue, would be out in the open air near a body of water. So they go out to the river. They expect to find a place of prayer. They actually do. They sit down and begin to speak to the women who had gathered there. Notice it's women gathered there, which speaks also to the lack of Jewish men, head of households, to to be there reading the Scriptures. The women are doing what is necessary, but under normal circumstances, it would be the men in those roles. They encounter Lydia. Lydia is a worshiper of God. She's a Gentile who is perhaps not a full proselyte, But she recognizes the God of the the Jews as the one true living God. Paul shares the gospel with her. She responds to the gospel. Notice the Lord opens her eyes. She already is religious. She already is recognizing God, but she doesn't know him as his child until she receives the gospel. And God moves in her to respond to the gospel. She's saved. Her whole family is saved. The people with her are saved. They start a church. Pretty big deal. One of the days that they're going to this place of prayer where they're meeting together with the brothers and sisters, they run into this female slave. This slave girl is oppressed by a demon who who seems to be, appears to be, predicting the future. So through this fortune telling, she makes a lot of money for her masters. She follows them around, much like the demoniacs in the the Gospels follow Jesus around, crying out, you're the Son of God. And Jesus says, shut your mouth, you're not part of this. And he gets rid of them. Paul and Silas, for whatever reason, don't seem to recognize this. They don't seem to notice that this is a demonic situation, but she keeps following them and keeps declaring this stuff. Perhaps it's just disruptive. Perhaps they finally recognize she does not know Christ. We're not going to have demons associated with our team if you will. In any case, Paul finally gets annoyed. He just gets ticked off. And he casts this demon out, setting this girl free and also creating a serious lack of revenue for her masters. Write this down. The people who most need our ministry are sometimes the ones who irritate us. The people who most need our ministry are sometimes the ones who irritate us. God, in His Holy Spirit, directs us through signs we would not desire like troublesome people. These people that irritate us may be unsaved folks who need to hear the gospel, but they just bug you, and you don't want to share it. Like Jonah, not wanting to go to the Ninevites. They just bug you bothered him. He was so anti-Ninevite, so anti-Assyrian, he did not want to share God's message with them. Maybe it's a brother and sister in the church that you just find about as huggable as a cactus, and they just wear on your last nerve. But God might be specifically telling you that person needs your loving ministry. Difficult people come to us in many forms. The people who most need our ministry are sometimes the ones who irritate us. Second point, under troublesome people, difficult people carry burdens we often don't understand or even recognize. Difficult people carry burdens we often don't understand or even recognize. Paul and Silas don't really seem to know what's going on with this girl until finally... She's annoyed them, irritated them enough that Paul turns to deal with it. God uses that irritation to get this girl free. Don't miss out on that. It's not until they're so bugged that they have to deal with it, Paul specifically, according to the text, he finally gets so troubled by this, so annoyed, so irritated, he's like, this ends now. And in the process of this, God opens his spiritual eyes to recognize it's not just that this girl is annoying. It's that she is carrying a burden that I didn't even get before. She is oppressed spiritually and needs to be delivered. And when he casts that demon out, she's set free. He never would have done that in the flesh. But God speaks to us through these things, I would love to to take you through a whole lot of scriptures and have you turn there. For the sake of time, I'm not going to have you turn, but I just want to read a few for you. This idea of troublesome people in our lives and what God intends for us in patience, forbearance, forgiveness, accepting one another, particularly among our fellow believers, But in loving our neighbor, we see this throughout the Bible and especially throughout the New Testament. I'm just going to read a couple of passages, a couple of verses for you. Galatians 6.2, carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Romans 15.7, accept one another. Now just when you hear that term, accept one another, understand what that means. It means you accept that person with all their baggage. You take them as they are it's hard it's irritating they're difficult they're troublesome they're annoying that doesn't matter you accept one another just as christ accepted you with your baggage in case you thought that you never got on god's nerves in all of your rebellion against him god makes the connection for you here accept difficult people as christ accepted you you difficult people Ephesians 4.32, be kind and tenderhearted to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. You don't forgive somebody unless there's something to forgive. Those people in the family who get on your nerves, specifically what Paul's talking about in Ephesians, forgive them. Put up with one another, he says elsewhere. We see this idea of bearing one another's burdens, accepting one another's foibles, working hard to get foibles in wherever I can, put up with one another's idiosyncrasies because God has called you to do that just as He did with you. Now, this is why membership in the local church is so important. It really is. It's even central to New New Testament Christianity. We see it throughout. All of the letters that we see to the churches are written as if there is a committed body of people, married, if you will, to one another. Not hanging out, not loosely affiliated, but committed in. So much so that when someone is in sin, when someone refuses to repent, refuses to live right, you put them out of the body. You can't put them out if there isn't an in. It's central to what we see in the New Testament. Why? Because it's the place and means of living out these commands that we have. Living them out with real people, not theoretical love, but living them out with real people who are prone to get on one another's nerves. That's how family is, right? Any of you guys? Raise your hand if you grew up with brothers and sisters. Anybody? Raise your hand if they ever got on your nerves. That's what family does. You can't love one another, accept one another, bear with one another, forgive one another, unless you actually have those close relationships where people bug you. Love bugs one another and deals with it. We can't fulfill the commands of Christ without that dynamic, specifically because real people will disappoint us. And you'll disappoint them. That's why Christ gives us the church. God's perfect plan often comes dressed as disappointment as God speaks through our irritations. Mark it down. God speaks through our irritations. The people who most need our ministry are sometimes the ones who irritate us. Difficult people carry burdens we often don't understand or even recognize. God speaks through our irritations. We've talked about blocked goals. We've talked about troublesome people. Uh, The third undesired sign from the Holy Spirit that we see in the passage is unjust treatment. We have a lot of talk now at this current moment in our society about injustice. I wish we talked about injustice more often, but we're talking about it right now. And as the people of God, we should work to combat injustice. But we also need to recognize that we are born to face injustice. God has a plan for us. And it doesn't look the way we expect it to look. For those of you who work ahead and have already filled in your blank in the program, you may recognize this next point. When life gives you lemons... Make what? No, not lemonade. you got to know me better than that. Why would I tell you lemonade? I did set you up, didn't I? When life gives you lemons, make disciples. That's what Paul and Silas do here. They get dealt a bad hand. The owners of this slave girl are ticked because they lost revenue. That's the dark side of capitalism if I ever saw it. They dragged them out into the public area, bring the magistrates, say, these guys are stirring up trouble and leading us into all unlawful things. You need to deal with them. Now, you can debate whether they were technically correct. Roman citizens were not allowed to participate in unauthorized religious ceremonies or, or uh, ceremonies of unauthorized religions, but they weren't promoting a new religion. Christianity was not a religion It was the completion, the fulfillment of Judaism, which was an accepted religion authorized by the Roman government. Nonetheless, they were not guilty of stirring up trouble. They were not causing a ruckus in town. They were simply combating injustice. But they get treated unfairly. They get beaten and arrested and humiliated. Locked in stocks that are specifically designed to spread the legs and cause painful cramping. That was the the way these were intended. All without a trial. Read the text. There's no trial that happens here. It's a mob. It's it's a mob. They bring them out. They accuse them of things. The magistrates are there. The crowd gets worked up. They get in it with them. Well, we're going to beat them and drag them off. They're not convicted of any crimes. There's no trial. When life gives you lemons, make disciples. Notice what happens when they're there. They're put in the inner cell, the most secure cell. They're put in these stocks so that they can't get out because the the jailer's been charged with this solemn duty of keeping them protected, keeping them locked away, letting them go. If you let prisoners get away under Roman law, you forfeit your own life in their place. That's why when, they, when he thinks they're escaped, he's ready to kill himself. But notice what happens about midnight. With my wounds still bleeding, still feeling the pain. i got to tell you, if I have a headache, I don't want to talk to anybody. These guys have been beaten, dragged off, bloodied, locked up. And they're praying and singing praise to God for everybody to hear. The other prisoners hear it, the jailer hears it, they all hear it. In the process of their worshiping through this difficult situation, God delivers them. God delivers them in a miraculous way. It's not normal for people singing to cause earthquakes that break open jail cells. That's what God does here. The jailer freaks, he's ready to kill himself. Paul says, Hey, 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 hold up, dude. We haven't gone anywhere. That by itself ought to tell us something about the attitude of these Christ followers. God sprung them. They could have left. They didn't. They stayed and made disciples. Second point under unjust treatment. How we handle mistreatment is our truest testimony of the reality of Christ in us. How we handle mistreatment is our truest testimony of the reality of Christ in us. Because of how they handled it, when when we see God's power demonstrated and they stayed and they preached the gospel, the guy's overwhelmed by the power of God. What must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me tell you about Him. While they're still bruised and battered and bleeding in the middle of the night, they're concerned about his eternal salvation. He receives the gospel. His whole household receives the gospel. They're immediately baptized, but before they even get baptized, notice what happens. His heart turns. He takes uh, Paul and Silas home, dresses their wounds, gives them a meal. There is this powerful movement of God in how they handle their mistreatment that ministers to this Roman jailer and to his whole family. There's an impact that comes from that unjust treatment. Turn, if you would, to the back of your Bible. We look toward the front. Let's go all the way to the the back to 1 Peter. Not all the way to the back to Revelation, but where the books get skinny. After Hebrews, you have James, then First and 2 Peter. We're going to look at 1 Peter. And we're going to start with chapter 2, verse 13. I'm going to skip a little bit, but I want you to see these. I love hearing those pages turn. I'll give you just a second to get there. Peter writes to the churches, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves Show proper respect to everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, honor the emperor. He goes on. That's his general call to all believers. Then he gets specific. He starts to talk to slaves. He starts to talk to wives. Why does he talk to slaves and wives? Because they are in a position of submission in the society that is often uncomfortable. Amen? Any position of submission is by its nature uncomfortable. He is not in any way endorsing slavery or endorsing misogyny. What he's saying is if you're in this situation, how you handle it is your testimony. Slaves, verse 18, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in His steps. Before I go on, I just want to point out, if we are more worked up about our American freedoms than we are about our duty to Christ, we are missing the boat. I will stand as a patriot for as long as America will stand for its values. But the reality is, if my commitment is more to don't tread on me than it is to love your neighbor, submit out of reverence for Christ, then I'm living for a different master and I've made my patriotism an idol. We dare not allow what we call the American way to trump the Christian way. We live for him alone. So while he's talking here to slaves, it is applicable to all of us. Why is he saying it to slaves? Because they're in that situation. You and I are not in a slavery situation, but do we get mistreated? Have you ever been mistreated by your boss, been passed over for a promotion given to somebody else who didn't deserve it when you did? Have you ever been accused of something you didn't do? Injustice happens a lot. How we handle our mistreatment is our truest testimony of the reality of Christ in us. Verse 21 To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Jump down. To uh, Jump down to verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 8. He's, he continues his talk to wives, a little blurb to husbands about how you handle it. Uh, he doesn't speak to masters of slaves. Paul does elsewhere and says, hey, don't, don't mistreat your slaves. You answer to God just as they answer to you. And in verse 8, he says, finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, Be compassionate and humble. I love the the Living Bible version of this. It says you should be like one big happy family, full of sympathy toward one another, loving one another with, with happy hearts and humble minds. It goes on to say, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Jump down to 13. Who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you're blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it's better if it's God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, made alive in the spirit. Now, we endure unjust treatment because God uses that to speak to us. It's an undesired sign, but it is still a sign from the Holy Spirit. Paul and Silas, through this adversity, begin this missionary journey with salvation of this jailer and his family. God's plan is bigger than them. Contrary to what we are so often told, it's not about me. It's not. Why are they singing in jail? Because they are being persecuted, and they know that God is with them. By the way, don't be confused. They're not specifically being persecuted for their faith. They are, kind of. I mean, it is that, but they're being persecuted because their practice of their faith is upsetting the apple cart for somebody else's profit. It's not like Jesus being accused of blasphemy they're being accused of, uh, accused of causing a ruckus. And they're singing. They're in a jail cell and they're singing, and they're praying and they're giving glory to God because they know that their purpose in life is to make disciples. So whatever the situation, they're not going to waver from that. When life gives you lemons, make disciples. How we handle mistreatment is our truest testimony of the reality of Christ in us. We look most like Him when we are unjustly suffering and doing it with grace. God's perfect plan often comes dressed as disappointment as God speaks through our tribulations. God speaks through our tribulations. Those hardships, those difficulties, God is using that In James chapter 1, you don't have to turn there, but you can look it up for your homework. In James chapter 1, the brother of Christ writes to the churches, Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. Tribulations, difficulties, hardships, adversity, unjust treatment. Whenever you're facing this difficult road, consider it joy. Well, that's dumb. Why would I consider it joy? Because in this, by the testing of your faith, God is developing in you the perseverance that is required for you to become mature and complete. Don't miss out on the next verse. He says, consider it pure joy when you face hardships. And then he says, directly flowing out of that, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should seek it from God who gives it generously. God gives us wisdom through the adversity. God is developing His voice in us Through the adversity, through the tribulation, God speaks through our tribulations. I'd love to take you to more passages, but my time is up. As we wrap this up, I want you to understand God's perfect plan often comes dressed as disappointment. God's plan and our plans often don't match even when we believe with our whole heart that they do, God's plan is perfect, our plans are not. God's plan takes in the whole picture on a scale we can't even imagine. Paul and Silas had plans and experiences that they fully believed were good and served God's kingdom purposes. Their plans did not include, did not include, being blocked from traveling into Asia or Bithynia. They did not include being chased around by an annoying little girl with a demon. They did not include being arrested without trial, beaten, and jailed. But God's plan for them did. Because it wasn't about them. God's perfect plan looked different than theirs They had a plan they thought was good, they thought it served God, but God had plans that were even better, though they were disguised as disappointments. He directed them into His perfect plan through frustrations, irritations, and tribulations. He does the same thing with us. May we embrace the disappointments of life, blocked goals, troublesome people, even unjust treatment, as signposts guiding us onto a more perfect path than we would ever choose on our own. Let's pray together. Father in heaven,